0: Good morning, Ridge. Good morning, it's uh, good to be with you here this morning again to unpack God's Word with you. Um, we are continuing our series uh, called Pursuing Life in the Holy Spirit, but we have a lot to tackle this morning. So if you've missed out, um, make sure that you uh, listen to what's been going on the podcast online. Gary at the back, the guy that's made sure the words happen and we get to worship He. He's the guy that can help you. He's the tech guy. I can't. I'm useless when it comes to tech things. I may as well be 70 years old when it comes to those kinds of things. Um, But he will definitely help you out with that. There are certain words um, that we Christians use or certain uh, Christian terminologies when used and when spoken about Um, and disgust can cause a sense of anxiety or weariness, and depending on the person's background, can even cause a sense of fear and concern that those things are being discussed and spoken about. So, for example, one of those words is the word predestination. Um, something in which in us can cause a bit of anxiety, a bit of weariness. And I, I particularly when I speak to first-year theological students, it inevitably comes up in their curriculum that they have to tackle that subject. There's a, there's a bit of concern. There's a bit of anticipation and a bit of weariness of what's going to be spoken about. And to a point that when I even speak to some people um, and some of the first-year students, they say, man, Joe, I don't even know if I believe it's true. And, and to be honest, it causes a bit of uh, weariness in me, a bit of shock, uh, because the word predestination is a biblical word. It's found in scripture. And so often I have to have a discussion with them going, no, no, don't say it doesn't exist because it's there. And and so what our approach needs to be is needs to be one where we are uh, as Bible-believing Christians, it needs to be, what does it mean? Because God is good. He's given his w- stuff in his word for a reason. So when he's given us this word and this concept, it's there for our benefit and for our good. And so what we need to do is we need to find out what the biblical meaning of it is so that we might get to know him, so that we might apply to our lives and be the best Christians that we might be, have the best relationship that we possibly can with, uh, can be. Does that make sense? And so, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a couple of those words that cause a bit of weariness and anxiety. And one of those this morning, we have to do it to do due diligence to what Scripture says, is we need to tackle that. And one of those words is baptism of the Holy Spirit. For a lot of us with backgrounds uh, that are maybe more conservative, there is a bit of weariness that comes, that a fact that I've even said that this morning caused a bit of weariness, concern. But being Bible-believing Christians that believe this is God's inspired word, there is this need for us to know it. Why? Because God is good. He's given it to us so that we might know Him better and be able to experience Him better. And if we are going to be um, believers that understand this word, but not just understand it, James says we mustn't be just hearers, we must be doers of the word. We need to figure out how does it apply to me so that I might have the best relationship with him and know him best. Does that make sense? Good. So this word baptism of the Holy Spirit is found six times in the New Testament. Six times. But what you'll see is that this this terminology baptism of the Holy Spirit is interchangeable with many other words that mean the same thing. Um, and a good example of this is found in Acts 11, verses 5 to, uh, 15 to 17. We've got a lot of scripture this morning. Acts 11, verses 15 to 17. We see here Peter starts talking to the Jerusalem council about an experience that he has. And he uses different terms that mean the same thing. That mean baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that here. Uh, it says, and here it is in Acts 11, 15 to 17, it says this. And as I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell on them. There's one of the words, just as at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, uh, how he said, this is Jesus speaking now, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's our word this morning. And if God gave the same gift, there's the third one, to them, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord who could i who was i that i could stand in god's way so here we see three different terminologies to describe one And so not only are there just six descriptions of baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but actually there's multiple that describe the same uh, event, the same um, concept that baptism of the Holy Spirit speaks of. And and just in Luke, and Luke and Acts, two books that are more like a sequel of books, there are at least ten words that describe the same thing. We see, here's just a number of the words that could be used. The the promise of the Father, being baptized with the Spirit, the Spirit's coming upon people, receiving power, being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's being outpoured, uh, poured out. the, The gift of the Spirit, the Spirit's being received, the Spirit's falling on people, the anointing of the Spirit. There are multiple, multiple different descriptions of this concept called baptism of the Holy Spirit when we start looking throughout Scripture. So how do we go about this this morning? I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and we're going to answer those questions. And the first question, I guess, that begs is, what is, uh, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think the best way we can approach this is to try to figure out what are the results of this baptism, and then we would understand it best, all right? And so the first result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it seems that you will receive power, we see this Jesus speaking here, a good authority, speaking in Acts 1, verse 8 to his disciples. He says, And you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Now, a good imagery. Uh, that is used to explain this is that of oil. It lubricates, it makes our skin nice. I think of an old creaky door hinge um, that is rusted and isn't working well. We take some Q20 and you give it a bit of a spray and you loosen that hinge nicely and it starts to work and the door doesn't squeak anymore and it works perfectly. In a very similar way, what happens is the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we receive power. So our spiritual gifts receive a a, a bump up so Brian's not here this morning. He isn't, right? I can't see him. Um, he has the gift of pastoral care. Some of you might have a very, very similar gift. You're able to meet with people who are going through some difficult moments, some, uh, a difficult time, and as you do that, man, they just feel comforted. But when this power comes upon you as described by Jesus, Man, there's this ability to those who are even in the most difficult of difficult of difficult moments, horrendous moments, you're able to bring peace that passes all understanding as you speak to them. You're able to lead them to God where they feel His presence and they feel comforted even when they are hurting in the most difficult moments. There's an extra added power that comes to your spiritual gift in this area. Um, Maybe some of you have teaching gifts like, like Debbie has. She's out She teaches our children, uh, and our children in the back. And you have this teaching gift, and as you're able to explain good truths to children, man, now you're able to explain the the deep truths of who God is to even the most difficult of children. There's a bit of. Power that comes along that you're able to do something that that difficult kid that that little angel, as I like to call them, at the back, there's running riots. Man, he comes to know the Lord because of now this power that's able to come there. Uh, Maybe you have an evangelistic gift, and you as you share the gospel with people, there are on occasions that people come to know Jesus more regularly than the average person. But man, when this gift comes along and then this power falls upon you, there's this extra added ability to be able to share. Now you're not only just sharing to one or two, but even people who are walking by and hearing you speak, they stop, they listen, they come to salvation. There is an added power to it. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you able to stand outside and you welcome people. People feel loved and cared for, but even the most defiant, reluctant person who does not want to come to church, who does not want to be here at all, who's been dragged and is in already, before they've even got you, saying, I'm not going to enjoy this. You come along and you love on them. You welcome them. You make them feel so loved that they even go away going, man, I want more of that. That's a great community. I want to be a part of that. Why? Because you've received power. This is what it is. It's an empowerment to do much for the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is speaking about here. And so we see... That this is not only just biblical, but it's also seen in history. Great men of the faith who have done incredible things for God have got this. George Whitfield, one of the greatest evangelists of all times, so will explain that it was when he received this power from the Lord. Uh, John Wesley, another who started the Methodist movement. A great, and we sing some of his hymns. He will say it was when he received this power. Uh, A.W. Toza I read this morning, man. He said it was only after he received this ministry takeoff. But let's look at a particular guy, Deal Moody. Some of you might have heard of him. If you get any of his stuff, we'll read it. He was a Sunday school teacher. Now when we he's in the States, so Sunday school doesn't mean at the back with the kids, but with the adults, they would do extra lessons after church and teaching. All right. So they would not only go to church, but they would also spend time studying the Bible afterwards. And he had about 2,000 people that used to come to, essentially, his Bible study afterwards. And later would be called to become a minister of a church, uh, one of the biggest churches in Chicago. And as he was preaching to this massive church and sharing his normal messages, he noticed that there were two ladies that were talking in his service. Sitting in front, two old ladies chatting away. And next week it happened again and happened again and happened again to a point that he got frustrated so that he went and spoke to them and said, why do you keep on talking in my services? And so they said, no, no, you're not talking, we are praying. He said, well, praying about what, your church? And he said, praying that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he was annoyed. He was frustrated that they would dare even think that that was even a possibility. He's preaching to one of the biggest churches. What do they mean? And man, well, at a later point, he realized that they had something that he did not have. And he starts longing for what they were talking about. To a point that he desires it so much. His land was so dry, like Peter spoke about this morning. He desired it so much. And he said, Lord, if you do not give this to me, I do not want to live. And he goes on vacation um, to New York City, and as he's on holidays, walking down the street just down the road, and as he explains, there was this outpouring of the Spirit on him, that he felt overwhelmed by the love of God, that he had to say, "Lord, stay your hand, stop. This is too much for me to handle." And he goes back to his church and he preaches the same messages to the same people, but the difference is there's power behind what he says. There is anointing that he did not have before. The message that he preached, now suddenly, man, there was many who came to salvation. He became one of the greatest evangelists ever to ever live. As he goes around America and Britain sharing the gospel, multiple, multiple people come to salvation. Why? What was different? Message? No. He preached Christ all the time. The difference was that he had received power in which he didn't have. And this is what we long for. It's an, it's an empowerment to do much for the kingdom and to glorify Jesus. That's what it is. To do much. And the next thing that gives us a result of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is a boldness. There's a boldness that comes along. Each and every single one of us can, if you're a Christian, have had experienced that moment when you had to share your faith and there was an anxiety and fear. Prompted by the Lord to go share your faith with that stranger. And you go, Lord, but I don't even know them. They're going to think I'm weird. Or having to share it with a friend and you're worried about how they're going to react. When we receive this is the boldness. We see this in Acts 4 verse 31. And that's Acts 4 31. It says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered was, shake, uh, was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began, and continued to speak the word of God. With boldness. Peter's probably the greatest example of this in scripture that we can find. Three or so weeks before, a couple of weeks before his, uh, uh, this stage happened, before Pentecost, he was the coward that was running away uh, from people and saying, I don't know this man. I don't know this Jesus. Even to a point of a slave girl who had no status in society, no one would have listened to her, his word would have been over hers. He was so frightened of what she might say to others that he would deny Christ. But after the empowerment of the Spirit at Pentecost, what happens? There's a boldness. He stands on the roof of uh, the place in which they had just received, and he preaches the gospel for hours on end to multiple thousands and thousands of different people. Stop and listen. And the people who were amongst him, as Peter will say, You crucified Christ. They were the very people that made him go into captivity and go in trial and crucified him. There's a boldness that comes upon Peter in which he didn't have beforehand. When we receive this power, there's a boldness that comes. And there's multiple other things in which we can talk about as well. There's things like there's an assurance of salvation in which you experience and which you never had before. There's a, there's a focus that happens on, on godly things. You're no longer interested in the things of the world as much as you used to be. But man, there's a spiritual desire for spiritual things, for things of God that you didn't have before. This comes when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are some of the results that take place when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the next question we must ask and answer is, when does this happen? When do we receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I must start off with, there's a distinction here that I need to make. There's a difference between having the Holy Spirit live in you and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. There's a difference When we are converted and come to know Christ, church, you have the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. You do. We spoke about this last week. The Holy Spirit's role that is within us, He lives in you, He saves you, and He dwells in you and testifies that you have been saved. He is there. He dwells in you. We, we see this particularly explained by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? You are. If you are a believer who has come to know Christ and you have crossed the line of faith... You have the Holy Spirit. But what we're talking about when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not that you receive Him at some later point, but rather you receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. Does that make sense? You have Him. It's it's like throwing petrol onto a little flame. There's suddenly this burst. You have more of Him, but you have Him in you. It's important to understand that. You don't just receive two-thirds of the Trinity and receive the rest of God later. You receive all of Him. But we, when you talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit or the outpourings of the Spirit or the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father, we are talking about an empowerment, a boldness, more for the kingdom of God. And so as long as I've made the distinction, there are still those that do believe that you will receive this, what we call baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. Um, But there are certain uh, scriptural um, evidences that that shows that that's not always the case. That's not always the case. We see this particularly with the disciples. The disciples are a great example of this. Um, They have, um, in John 15, verse 3, we see that they are saved. Jesus says this, this work in them. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that God, uh, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So the disciples are clean, according to Jesus. Um, and this is before his death and resurrection. This is before uh, the, um, the power of Pentecost. But later again, we see uh, in John 20, 22, Jesus has died and risen again from the dead. And what happens is he meets them for the first time. He comes and reveals himself to the disciples for the very first time after his death and resurrection. And now it's important that they be saved because the the power of the resurrection needs to be in them. And so what does he say to them? In John 20 verse 22, he says, and he says this, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was before Pentecost. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. The regeneration work in which we spoke about last week takes place in the disciples. They're saved. They know Christ. They are the church. They are everything that they need to be, but they only receive the empowerment later on at Pentecost. And so, what we see here is that it is possible to be saved, but yet only you have the Holy Spirit, but you only receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at a later point. That's important for us to see here. Other examples of this are in Acts 8 with the Samaritans, and Acts 19 with the 12 disciples of Ephesus. They were saved, but only at a later point did they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But on the same account, it is possible for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. There are evidence in Scripture that that can happen. For example, there is this guy named Cornelius. He sees in, in, in Acts 10, verses 43, he's had, he has a variety of visions. The Lord says, go get this guy named Simon Peter. He goes and gets him. Peter comes along to his house. And Peter starts to preach the gospel to him because God says that he must. And as he does so, he gets to a point where he starts talking about Jesus. And, he, and it says this in Acts 10.43, And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of his name. So now he starts saying, man, Jesus saves you. He is the one in which the prophets have spoken about. He is the one that saves you. And in this moment, we see that as Peter says these things, uh, Cornelius and his household believe. And what happens straight after that, it says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among uh, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles and so here we see in scripture that there are two different ways you can receive the Holy Spirit at conversion like Cornelius the power of the Holy Spirit but you can also receive it at a later point so the the question that we have to ask ourselves is what happens what is the most normal case what does scripture say about the most normal case well there's this guy named R.A. Torrey and he makes this incredible statement And I want you to listen to it. He says this. It would seem as if the normal condition, in a normal condition of the church, this would be the usual experience, talking about baptism at conversion. But he says this. But the church is not in a normal condition today. A large part of the church is in a place where believers in Samaria were before Peter and John came. And where the disciples in Ephesus were before Paul came and told them of their privilege. Baptized believers, they, they were baptized believers, baptized in the name of the Lord, baptized unto rep- uh, repentance and remission of sin, but not as yet baptized with the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the right, birthright of every believer. It was purchased for us by the atoning death of Christ. When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he received the promise of the Father and, uh, and sent him forth onto the church. And if anyone today has not been baptized with the Holy Spirit as a personal experience, it is because he has not claimed his birthrights. And so here he goes, man, in the normal state of the church, it would probably happen at conversion. An Acts 2.42 type church. But the reality, he goes, man, the state of the church in the world today is one where we aren't as a normal state. Those things aren't happening as they were. And so what most commonly happens is the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at a later point, not at, a, at conversion. Does that make sense? And so you might say to me, but Joe, I received my baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. For me, that's the way it happened. And and that's biblical. It could potentially happen that way. But I, I want to remind you again, what are the results of baptism of the Holy Spirit? The results are power and boldness. And my friends, if you claim that you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion, which is biblical, there needs to be a result of power and boldness. That when you do stuff for the glory of God, things happen. That when there's results, there's a boldness behind what you do, there's a power that comes to glorify Christ in a way that you do not see elsewhere because you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a clear experiential thing. It's not this mystical thing in which you have the theorized and we talk about it, but rather, no, there is results that happen as a result of it. Does that make sense? It's important that we see that you have to have the power and there has to be boldness to say that you had it. But even if that is the case, and by God's grace that has happened to you, I want to suggest that it can also happen multiple times afterwards. Might we not be a church that said 30, 40 years ago, happened to me or even a year ago it happened to me but rather what we need to be is a people that hunger and thirst for it regularly and we see this in scripture that it can happen more than once again peter is a great example of this peter at pentecost um in acts 2 verse 4 talking about all the disciples which peter was a part of and says and they were all filled with the holy spirit and and peter was the the upfront man right He preached and 3,000 people get saved. He was clearly filled with the Holy Spirit. But again, later in two chapters time in Acts 4, Peter's standing before the Sanhedrin as they've called him in because him and John have done a a miracle which they should not have done on the Sabbath. And as they stand before them, they ask him, what did you do? And before he speaks, it says this about Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, there's a second time he was filled. And then later in that chapter, as Peter, goes, uh, as Peter and John get out of prison and head uh, to their friend's house, and they stand there, what happens is they start to pray. They start to pray together, and as they pray together, in Acts 4, verse 31, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak uh, God's word with boldness. Context clearly shows that John and Peter were there. Peter, in a space of three chapters, has been empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. It is something in which we can long for and want it more and more and more. It does not have to be one experience. It can be many. Why? Why do we want this? Well, man, we want the kingdom of God made known, don't we? We want to know Him more and we want to make Him known. And we need Him in order to do this. This is clear in Scripture. The next question that I want to answer is why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The New Testament is explicit in showing that we need it. And one particular case that for me that stands out that we need this is in Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Thus it was written that, uh, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, uh, rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of the sins should be proclaimed to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem, You are the witnesses of these things. Let's stop there. He says, Jesus is speaking here and goes, Man, it is written, the prophets have spoken about that the Christ is going to be proclaimed to all the world. He's going to proclaim that he has died for them and that their sins have been forgiven. That all the world will see this Jesus as it is proclaimed. Oh, by the way, you are the witnesses. You are the ones that are going to go and do it. You are the ones that need to proclaim this. But then he goes on to say, And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father, which is one of the things, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with with the power from on high. But stay in the city until you receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Before you go out of the city to tell people about me, stay until you receive the Holy Spirit. Who was these disciples? Man, these were men and women, uh, not men, just men. These were men that lived with Jesus for three years. They were mentored by him. They were discipled by him. They lived life with him. He taught them daily. He heard, um, they heard him preach. And then they got special lessons afterwards to help them understand. They saw his miracles. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection. And they were about to see his ascension. And Jesus says, well, hang on a second. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. But what did these men have to go do? They just had to go and tell people what they saw. You are the witnesses. Surely, if we had to talk about qualified people to do this, these disciples were qualified. In modern day terms, we would all jump through hoops. I would (laughs) jump through hoops to have such an experience. Seminary students come out of four years, but they never spent time with Jesus. And we go, you are ready. Surely, these 12 men were more equipped than we could ever ask for. In modern day terms, we would say, yes, go out and tell the world. But Jesus says, hang on a second. You're not prepared. There's still a preparation that needs to happen. The Father still needs to prepare you. And he's going to send the promise, this gift. And I want you to hear that there. It's a gift. It's this goodness. He's going to send this upon you. And man, they go out and they do something different. These men needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the disciples who had such an experience, such a mentorship, such a teaching, needed the Holy Spirit to, in order to do these things, how much more do we? How much more do we as individuals and as a church, if we're going to reach the suburb and the city, need the Holy Spirit to do that? How much more do you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to reach that family member of yours who just refuses to come to know Christ? How much more do you need Him so that you might be able to share your experiences with friends and colleagues? How much more if we are going to take the city for the glory of Christ, need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Man, church, we need Him. We desperately need Him. If the disciples did, with all that behind their name, how much more do we? So much more. And if we don't, God will be gracious to us. I'm sure of it. And we will do little. And we will maintain. But we're not called to maintain. We're called to grow. We're called to be witnesses. We don't want little splashes. We want big splashes. We want something that will echo into eternity for the glory of Christ. And that's why we desire this. That's why we want it. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'll be going through quickly. It sounds a lot, but I'll go through it relatively quickly. Seven points. Seven steps, if you will. sounds biblical because there's seven of them. Um, The first is, and it seems obvious, but you need to be a Christian. You need to come to know Christ. Empowerment of the Spirit is the gift of from the Father for those who know Jesus. We see this clearly exp- uh, explained uh, by Peter in Acts 2, verses 38. It says, Repent and be baptized, everyone uh, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to talk too much about that this morning because we spoke about that in length last week. And so, if you've, again, if you have missed that, speak to Gary. He will help you out. Or come speak to me after the service. But there needs to be a commitment to Christ. You can't just desire the power. That's not what it's about. It's not about desiring power for one's own glory, but for the glory of Christ so that we might be able to do much for His kingdom and see it grow. The next thing is the renunciation of sin. This is the second step is to abandon sin in your life. We spoke about this a bit last week, so I explain it, is that true repentance is a change of mind. It's not an emotional feeling that makes you feel bad. It's It might be part of that, but it doesn't end there. There's a changing of mind. There is a a removal of sin. I do not want to do that anymore, and we pursue after Christ. That is true repentance, And there needs to be this true repentance. We can't be holding on to sin in our lives. You might think it's small. You might think it's subtle. You might think it's a little. But if we are going to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to make sure that we are renouncing our sin and doing our very best to flee from it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is just that. He is holy. And if we are going to receive His empowerment, man, we need to make sure that we lay aside All of our sin. Can't hold on to it. So spend time asking God to reveal to you the sin in your life and get rid of it. The third is a bit of a strange one, but it must be said. It is an open confession. Open confession. We can believe in Jesus and we can renounce our sin, but there's this thing called secret disciples in which we tend to not want to tell anyone about it because we're still ashamed. If we are going to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit only comes upon those who are openly. I am Christian. I believe in Him, and I have repented for my sins. You can't be a secret Christian, ashamed, in order to receive Him. The third one, a uh, fourth one, sorry, is an absolute surrender to God, an absolute surrender to Him. Acts five verses thirty-two says, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, to those who obey him. What is obey obedience? If I would asked this morning what obedience is, a lot of us would say, man, to do something we're told to do. And and that's right. Um, But how much so? Only a couple of the things? Only two of the steps? Only three or four things? No, no, obedience is totally doing what we're required to do. And in a very similar sense, what we inquire to do in order to receive the Spirit is to lay down our will, if you will. (laughs) To lay down our lives, to come before the Father and go, my life is yours. I have purchased you, you have purchased me with the blood of Christ. I am no longer my own, I am yours. Would you come and take away any desire to do anything that's not of you? Would you come along and make my will your will? so that I might live for you and for your glory. That's important for us to do. It's important for us. This is the the hardest one that we struggle with. We struggle with the ability to be able to give up our own dreams, our own desires, that God would send us where he would want to and do what he wants to. If we are going to do much for the kingdom of God, if we're going to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is this importance that we are willing to lay down our lives for him. And, We struggle with this, and I would suggest that if you can't do that, you'll ask him to do it for you. Pray and say, Lord, take my will from me. Let my will be yours. Ask him, and he will do it for you. The fifth one is this, is that we need to desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter read a verse, but I'll read another one as well is in John 7, verses 37 to 39. Jesus speaking here says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then goes on to say this. It says, Now uh, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. And then Isaiah 44, verse 3 says, For I will pour water on uh, the thirsty land, and the streams of dry ground. I'll pour out uh, my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. In both these passages, a the condition is a thirst for more of God. That is, that is a, a need in you. You need to want it. You need to want more of Christ. You need to want the Holy Spirit. As, as we get thirsty the, and you drink, need water and it feels like every pore in your body is just crying, water, water. I don't know if you've ever been so thirsty that you can't just focus. Time seems to drag. I remember I probably wasn't that thirsty, but I was driving from East London to pee with my folks and I was thirsty when I got in the car and we never stopped the whole way. Those three hours were the longest three hours of my life as I just needed water, thirsty longing for it. In a very similar way, if we're going to receive this gift, this this blessing, this promise from the Father, what we need is to want it. Like dry ground needs water. as our, Our thirst is there as we need it, so we want God in our hearts that we cry out, more of the Holy Spirit. More, more, more. We need to thirst for it. Sixth step is we need to pray for it. Jesus says in, in Luke 11 verses 9 to 13, you can read the whole thing, but I'll just read the last bit. It talks about how we need to pray for this. This is Jesus talking, right? He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If, the, if the, Jesus is saying, how much more will the Father come along and give it to you if you ask for it? Because it's a good gift. It's this great gift for the glory of Christ that helps us understand Him better, that we might seek after Him more. This is what it is. And the last step is that we need to have faith. We need to trust in Him that He will do it. Trust in the sovereign work of our God. Trust in His goodness. And trust in Him that He will do what is best for us and best for the church. And so we have faith that He's going to give this to us. And if we do this, church, we can be sure, because He says He will give it to us. He says He will. If we desire it and want it and seek after it, that we are willing to lay down our lives for the glory of Christ, to lay it down sin, to have this changed mind and pursue after Him, we will receive this wonderful blessing. And I hope this morning as we've discussed this, that there might have been, for those of you who were concerned and wary of this topic, that you'd see its goodness. It's not this freaky thing to scare you or to manipulate you into anything. But rather what it is, is so that you might empower to do much for Christ. That you would be able to live the life that God has called you to live. That you might be able to go and make His name known. More than you are already doing. You might say, I'm doing it. Man, the empowerment comes along that you can do more. More for Him. That's what we want. We love Christ and we want others to love Him. So we need more Of his spirit to do so and as it is the promise from the father a good gift given to us so that we might be used by him more and more and more and I hope that is what you desire I hope it is because if you do man there is a life for you to be lived that you will one day stand before Jesus and you will hear the words with no uncertain terms well done my good and faithful servant because you have been and done all that he has called you to. And so this morning, I'm going to ask if everyone can please stand. We're going to close off in prayer. And so if you wouldn't mind, we just want to honor God and we just want to stand. If you wouldn't mind doing that. We're going to close out in prayer this morning. Father, we are incredibly grateful that you sent Jesus to come and die for us. We are incredibly grateful that by his blood that we might know you, that because of his death and resurrection that we have been saved. And only that, we sang this morning um, that you are our cornerstone by nothing else other than the blood and the righteousness of Christ that we can come before you this morning. But Father, we do not only want to be um, recipients of this, but rather we want others to know you. Our desire is that Christ will be made known in the suburb. We want to others to know you. That's what we want. And Lord, you've called us to be salt and light in the city. You've called us as a church to make your name known, to share it with family members and friends and colleagues, to neighbors and and others. But Lord, we are unable to do this in our own strength. We sang this morning as well, we are weak. We are weak. But you have said that you will use the weak to shame the strong. And so Lord, we, we ask that you would use us. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us as a church. So that we might have power to do much for your kingdom. That we might be bold to share the gospel. That we would be assured that we are sons and daughters of the living God. That our focus would not be on this world, but on spiritual things. We want to be used greatly by you. For the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. So Lord would you, you give us the wisdom to be able to lay aside sin. That we might see the sin in our hearts and lay it aside. That, Lord, we would have uh, the, the ability and, and the humility to be able to lay aside our own will. And if we can't, Lord, would you take it from us? And, Lord, would you stir up in our hearts a deep desire for more of Christ? That we would want this Jesus. That we would want Him more. That you would pour out your Spirit upon us and, and so that we might know Him. We ask for this, Lord. We trust in your sovereign work, we pray. In Jesus name amen